What, what, what are you guys going to do there? Uh, uh, Plan A and B and C and D. Uh, it was mostly... That's what we're going to do. Some Bible verses, maybe some charity. Charity work. Help, charity help, work. Help the orphans. Uh, and then yeah. there's something about spit-roasting Greg, I heard. <laughs> was that... I don't know what... Dude. Yeah, that, that is 100% accurate. Hey, get your mind out of the gutter. I, nobody said that. Yeah. Except for me and... A volunteer... Me and Volunteer with the homeless feral cats. <laughs> you are listening to the Give Me Five podcast, episode 200, Side B. This is the Give Me Five podcast, a bi-weekly podcast reviewing the things you love today, and in today's case, the things you loved yesterday. We are actually doing a good movie tonight. My name is Snake. You're damn right my name is Snake. It's my episode. Y'all can suck it. I get to be Snake. And I'm joined by Cabby. Hey, hey. And the girl in Chock Full of Nuts. I am Chock Full of Nuts. <laughs> oh, you're gonna be. <laughs> If everything goes as planned, that's right. <laughs> you know, for this episode, I, I I like to on the anniversary episodes, I like to do like counts of certain things, and I was gonna to go back and do a count of how many times uh, Rob has hit on me during the episodes, and it would have taken too long, so I just didn't. It's it's in like the triple digits, without question. Well over two hundred. Yeah. <clears throat> we are also joined by a special guest. Derek, would you like to say hello? The name's Pliskin. Oh, God damn, that was good. <laughs> that, yeah. I've... You are no wow. longer Snake Pliskin. <laughs> Rob, you can damn. you can be Duke. You can... uh, this is Derek. Duke. <laughs> this is Derek Rook. He is the publisher from Rough House Publishing uh, and a friend of the show. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks, guys. So amazingly awesome to be hanging out with you guys tonight. And I can't believe it took... 200 episodes for that to happen but what a special night excellent i was trying to think of good ways to celebrate our 200th episode and, and being in florida the one way you're really supposed to celebrate big anniversaries is to um, release a florida man and hunt him and try to catch him before he gets to to the meth stash that you or your alligators hidden. yeah but i figured instead i would review a movie or get these guys to review a movie that really kind of was my first ever, uh, not pop culture, what were we looking for? Uh, uh, yeah, a movie that I didn't see growing up, but was introduced to me, I guess would be the way I would put it. A, uh, a cult classic, we'll say. Hell and yeah. you were the person that actually introduced this movie to me. Was I? So, you were. What a special uh, moment that was, my goodness. Yeah. And then I think I was the one that introduced the movie to Omar. That is correct. Nice. Yeah. It was one of those movies where, like, you saw the cover at Blockbuster, but, like, I'd never seen it. So I watched it. The first time I ever saw it was with Greg. That is still not an addition to being my favorite movie of all time. That is my favorite movie poster painting of all time as well. I just think that's so amazing and iconic looking. It's classic, for sure. Mm -hmm. 
And that's the kind of movie poster that you don't even give a hell what the movie is. You're just going to rent it and watch it just based on the cover art. <laughs> yeah. The freaking Statue of Liberty head, like, laying in the middle of the street. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Which not doesn't actually conf- happen. Not to be confused with 2019 after the fall of New York, which hopefully none of you guys have seen. But I'm sure we'll get into the parodies and the knockoffs and everything, too, if you guys are so privy. Yeah, that's entirely possible. And and this this is actually not the first time that we've done a movie that we all like remembered the cover. I think one of the other ones we did was April Fool's Day. Oh yes, where they just had like iconic covers that we were like, you know, I I remember that from wandering around Blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that we probably will do because this is uh, this movie's been around for a long time. Um, we're we're gonna end up spoiling some stuff. Because it is a review show. Um, this movie's from 81, so if you haven't seen it by now, I mean, you, you either haven't heard of it or you maybe aren't interested, but I think the consensus is that you should see it. But we're going to try to avoid major twists, um, of which, now that I think about it, are there any major twists in this movie? We're going to try to avoid major twists. I'm not a huge fan of spoiling things, but you know how it goes. If you've listened to our show before, we talk about this stuff, and it's just kind of like flows. So um, you've been warned. Um, even if you're going to see, I still recommend you see the movie, but there will be um, spoilers. So please be aware. So uh, we're going to do like the general boring stuff here. I think where we just talk about the just when it was released and all that stuff, and then I'm going to put uh, Derek on the spot here and explain, have him explain like how he got into this movie and how it affected him and changed him and all that stuff. Uh, so the movie was released July 10th, 1981, directed by Mr. John Carpenter, who did a whole bunch of stuff on this movie. Starring Kurt Russell, Lee Van Cleef, Ernest Borgdine, Donald Pleasance, Isaac Hayes, Season uh, Hubley, Harry Dean Stanton, Adrian Barbeau, and Tom Atkins. <clears throat> Uh, Rob, since I think I jumped on your intro, do you want to do the synopsis? No, you can jump on my intro. See, again, <laughs> add another that number. 1,008. <laughs> In 1997, when the U.S. president crashes into Manhattan, now a giant maximum security prison, a convicted, a convicted bank robber is sent to rescue him. Convicted. Uh, convicted. We're going to cook him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so talk about this this movie and how you uh, I was going to say came upon this movie, but I have no way of muting Rob. <laughs> no way of, of muting him or canceling him without ruining the entire recording. So, uh, Derek, how did the, you uh find out about this movie? What, you know, how did it change your life all that stuff? Um, well, to me, in, in a lot of ways, um this was my indie The Last Crusade moment where like I, I saw a movie and decided to basically rip off uh the main character's whole persona and, and turn it into my own so to this day i still you know i still have long hair i still wear a you know a beat up leather jacket and still get into trouble uh, or escape from trouble so to speak but uh no the first time i ever saw this movie was when uh we finally got cable in our house for the first time and all of a sudden you saw a bunch of movies that you normally up to that point like um i was just young enough where like i was into a lot of conan stuff sword and sandal stuff which i'm not into anymore for the most part um but when i saw that movie for the first time 
there was, I don't know what it was about it that made me so attracted to the world. It wasn't even just the character, it was the world that they lived in. Um, you know, Snake is almost like a, a, a metaphor for like just being your own person and, and just a giant fuck you to uh, anybody who tries to take away your your personal beliefs or your individuality. And I just really latched on to the character at a young age. And, uh, and yeah, uh, I just have been with that movie. It's my favorite movie of all time. It's not something that I recommend to a lot of younger folks. It is kind of a, a slower paced movie. It's, it's a time clock kind of um, ticking down kind of thing. But um, you know, I think for modern audiences, there's not, a lot of steady action in it so it's not in my opinion the best movie in the entire universe but for me it's it's certainly um it's it's as big as part of my life as anything else the it's interesting you say the recommending to to younger people there was a i always liked the movie and I've, i don't think i've ever watched it alone i think it's always been me recommending it to friends hey have you seen this yet and watch it. Um, I like. I don't think I have it on Blu-ray. As a result, because mm. basically from the time that Blu-rays really came out, I really stopped hanging out with people. I don't like people. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, so I did start noticing that it, the pacing was a little bit different. Like especially some of the big climactic moments happened really quickly. Particularly, uh, we'll talk about it. I'm sure, but particularly like the the fight, the um, the gladiator kind of fight, that yes. was like really quick. And yeah, it's you're definitely watching it on... good. No, I was just gonna say it's definitely a, a meat and potatoes movie. There's not a lot of filler in there. It's uh, you know, it starts the action starts right at the moment uh, that we need it to. Um, it gives you a quick setup, and then you're off to the races. And uh, mm-hmm. I think it, it's like a hundred minutes long or something like that. But it's um, it gets you there. It doesn't spend a lot of time, um, you know, setting up the the plot. It just kind of gets into it. Yeah, I think it was 128. Was it? Yeah, because like when you're watching it on streaming, something will happen. You'll be like, "Oh, did I just see that? I, oh, man, I missed that part." And you like go to rewind it, and all of a sudden you're like at the beginning of the sequence. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like, here's what's going to happen. Boom, it happens. You're done. It's not like the usual three, four minutes of build up and stuff. So it's kind of right. interesting pacing. Uh, and things back then actually seemed to be paced a lot slower normally, too. So that was kind of an interesting thing. Uh, guys, well, I know you saw it before, Omar. Rob, had you seen this before? I had not. This was the Ooh. first time I had seen this movie. Oh. Okay. I wanna, you're on the spot, then. Wow, this is cool. Um, I mean, it, I will say that I was surprised that it, that it still kind of holds up and I think that was because they didn't really go too hardcore with special effects or anything and they didn't reach too far for anything it was it, I mean you you had you had old school computers with the blinking lights like Star Trek you know like old school hmm. Star Trek but other than that I mean it was all just you know guns and and um, post-apocalyptic uh, sets and stuff so so it actually kind of kind of worked and you know Kurt Russell is so good. I mean, he, he was amazing as Snake, and just kind of oozes contempt for the you know 
the U.S. Army authority or for the the military authority. Um, and as I was watching the movie, I had a thought. I'm like, holy crap, was this was this the first Suicide Squad? Right. And I think we I think we figured out that that was probably Dirty Dozen, or at least that's the first one we could think of was Dirty Dozen. But yeah, I you know concept of Suicide Squad's been around a long time. Um, but all in like, all, I, I really in- wouldn't something like Seven Samurai be be a type of Suicide Squad too. I mean, were they were they criminals? Well, I guess they were like they were, they were Ronin, I guess. So that's not the same thing. Yeah, they were just they were just samurai. That's, they weren't really criminals or anything. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Um, but I mean, the the movie was really enjoyable. It 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 was a bit slow at parts, but it moved along pretty well. And the the main character wasn't like one of those ridiculously overpowered. Uh, I mean, he he gets caught at one point. And he has to try and escape and everything like that. So I mean, it's not like he just walks in and just you know one shots everybody like John Wick. Mm-hmm. But but it was yeah, I enjoyed this movie. I mean, this is probably even something I'd watch again. Okay, Omar, you're you're the last one here. Uh, why do you love this movie? And why is watching this movie with me back when we were like eighteen years old the best moment of your life? Well, <clears throat> it was a moonlit night, and we were holding hands. <laughs> the earthworms were scattered the earthworms on the were all about the driveway and you had given me my fourth wine cooler i'll never forget it <laughs> but besides that um i needed to give him more wine coolers if he's not going to forget it <laughs> yeah clearly you hadn't given me enough um uh yeah no i mean i like the movie i i've ever since the first time i saw it um it was good to see it again because it had been you know years decades whatever i just hadn't seen it in forever um it's just a really fun movie i think that um the anti-hero thing that he does uh i I, you know he's not the first to do it obviously in film but he really nails it um and it's funny now because one of the things that struck me while watching this movie was all right so here's kurt russell and I'm looking at the movie. I'm I'm watching him in the movie through the filter of who he is today and what we know about him today. I don't remember I do remember Kurt Russell even when we watched it originally back in the 90s. He was already a name. But I I I I didn't really research it. I I don't know if I want to know or not. I actually am not sure. W- was he that big of a name when this movie came out? He must have been relatively new to the to the movie making scene at that point because this is 1981. Or am I wrong? Kurt Russell. Yeah, uh, Kurt Russell was a Disney actor when he was a kid, so he. Yeah, I mean, that as far I as major know. roles. Yeah, no, he was he was, he was the kid. computer, right? The computer kid. I uh, don't know. The computer wore tennis shoes. Yeah. Yes, that is correct. Was he? Mm-hmm. I know the only movie that he had done that was of note was uh, before this was. Actually, another John Carpenter made-for-TV movie, which was Elvis, where he played – Kurt Russell played Elvis. And uh, I remember uh, John Carpenter saying that it was a hard sell to the studio because they wanted um, they wanted more of the typical hard-edged actor for that role, somebody like Clint Eastwood or Charles Bronson. 
and he was trying to sell Kurt Russell, who at the time I think was like 26 or 27 years old. Um, he was a Disney actor and then he was Elvis. And, you know, <laughs> so he was trying to sell the studio that this guy could actually play tough and gritty and dark. And um, mm -hmm. so I don't remember. Yeah, Often... I don't remember what it was. It was probably just John Carpenter being persuasive. But, um, you know, if you notice when when uh, Kurt Russell's doing his shtick, he's actually doing. Well, who do you think he's doing? If he's doing now, an impression, I know the answer to this. I'm not going to answer. But. Well, now that you put it in that context, it is kind of an. Uh, there's a little bit of an Elvis sneer, if I'm not mistaken. Right? I mean, is that what you're? Well, someone else too. Clint Eastwood. He's doing Clint Eastwood straight up. Oh, uh, I see that. Westerns. He's doing like the yeah, the man with no name kind of thing. He's exactly doing that. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, I see that. And it's funny. I didn't know that. So what you, what I'm what I'm hearing is up until this point. He he was kind of known as like a teeny bopper, like Disney kid. Um, uh, he was he was a Disney kid, but he also did um, Elvis. He did a couple of he did a couple of other movies as well that came out before this. But those those may have also been been kid movies. Uh, yeah, because he was also in. Uh, apparently, he was a voice in the Fox and the Hound. That's in right, nineteen eighty one. That's right. I forgot about that. He was the Fox. Uh, computer wore tennis shoes in sixty nine. Um, nice. Used cars in 1980. I forgot about used cars. Oh, shit, I forgot Me about too. that movie. Yep. Okay. And then another Disney movie, The Strongest Man on the World, or at least it looks like it. Yeah, it and is. And a, a bunch movie. of the uh, Magical World of Disney episodes from uh, in this, like, 76-ish, looks like. And it looks like, as a kid, he was also in a Western called The Guns of Diablo. Hmm. But this is his first yeah. role of this kind. Absolutely. Okay. As an action As a hard-ass, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, it was awesome. I mean, I you know, it, it, you know, it is a little bit. There's there's the, the the other thing that struck me, the you know the technology that they're purporting to show. He's got that big old watch that he can communicate with, or they can monitor his whatever with. Um, the the uh, the neon, <laughs> like the neon outline of Manhattan, and the the like synth music. You know, it's very like. If you if you weren't a, a, a for people who are younger than we are, if you didn't if you weren't around at that time, I don't think you get the same vibe, you know. But that stuff really sticks out to me because that was such a '80s thing. Like that's one of those things that sticks out to me a lot is that synth sound and those like lights and that neon kind of look, wireframe. Yeah, yeah, that's. Yeah. That really is like a big nostalgia thing for me. I don't. I don't know why. Yeah, so before we move on from that, I since we a bunch of us have mentioned special effects, the that city that city wireframe was not done by computer because there was no computers back then that were affordable that could actually do wireframe, and it's one of those things I kind of knew, but they actually took a a model of Manhattan and painted it black and then actually put like reflective tape on the buildings and mm -hmm. flew a little camera around it. Just so cool. Really? And I, yep. That's awesome. And, uh, well, I know, I'm pretty sure Derek knows the answer to this, but, um, if you get, uh, do anyone want to guess who the director of photography that did that was? Dean Cundy was the director of photography. But if you're talking about who did the, was on the special effects team, that yes. was Roger Corman Studios and James Cameron. A very young James Cameron was working on the special effects for the movie. 
Yep. Because that's what he started off as before he became a director himself. Hmm. Boom. Yes, he was considered the Just resident drop genius. some knowledge yeah. on us. Yeah. He was considered the resident genius on the set. James Cameron, of course, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know who that is, but Terminator 2, Terminator <laughs> Aliens. What was that one uh, little movie about a boat? Yeah, some movie about a boat. <laughs> so, Blue people. Didn't he I also know. do some movie that was a ripoff of Fern Gully? <laughs> I already... I... <laughs> Gully with Marines. Sex with their tails. <laughs> they have sex with their tails. They have sex with their Fern tails. Gully. Technically, he was an underachiever, huh? Because he chose a boat with a fucking hole in it. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. Wow. Okay. Did not know that. We can't. They can't all be winners, guys. I'm just saying. <laughs> so, yeah. I. I mean, that's like the big special effects shot in this. But it's it's weird because the uh, the aesthetic of the synthwave genre is really the beginning of this movie. Absolutely, exactly. You know, the, the the grids, the the sound effects, the post apocalyptic city thing, the you know the, any of the computers that you see, and it's like if you see any synthwave video on YouTube, it's going to look like this movie. And for me, yeah, that's quintessential eighties. That whole vibe. That's the one of the first things I ever think about when I think of the '80s, that and Revenge of the Nerds, but whatever. Yeah. And as far as action, summer action movies go, talking about the score, it was a very subdued, droney, ambient-sounding score. It wasn't like this big, actiony, exciting music that made you pumped. It was, you know it kind of reminded you of a world gone wrong. You know, it kind of always was there in the background to kind of remind you that you're in a dangerous world where not many people can survive it and not any, not many people can last through it. That's the reason uh, why the tagline for the movie is, you know, uh, breaking out is impossible, but breaking in is insane. That's a really good Actually, point. That was the tagline. That's a really good point. The, the, the music there's never like, uh, not I don't I don't mean it in this way, but there's never like a whatever dirty dancing type hit song in the background that they're trying to push. No, that doesn't happen no at all. Dancing. Period. Ever. It's not even. It's not. I I would imagine it was it wasn't even discussed. Well, I don't know if that's true, but that's a good point. I never. I didn't really catch that. I didn't really realize that. And because it's a ticking clock movie, if you go back to those individual uh, tracks, almost every one of them has a heartbeat. Everything is just like, mm, 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 you know, moving its way towards. Right. It's almost like something is ticking its way down towards zero and that it's always reminding us that we're running out of time, that everything that this character has to do, he has to do while he's running away from like 10 different things and thinking on his feet. And progressively throughout the movie, he loses his contact with the outside world to the point where they don't even know if he's alive or dead. And he doesn't even know what time it is. He doesn't even know how much more time he has left. He just knows that he's fucked and he has got to keep going no matter what. And um, that was one of the things that I loved most about the movie, because again, it's not the most fastest paced movie as far as what we know today is, as like a summer action movie. But there's always that reminder that we don't have a lot of time here. And, and, if he doesn't succeed with this mission for whatever reason, or if he's being duped and they don't have any plans on ever taking that bomb out of his neck, 
he's fucked anyway. So, you know, there's there's never a guarantee that he's going to be okay. Never, not once in the movie. Mm-hmm. The the guy that that puts it in his uh I forget his name right now, the general guy. Lee Van Cleef. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, like the character's name the Oh, uh, Hauk. Hauk. Hauk, yeah. 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 It's crazy cuz I'm looking at him like I've seen this movie a bunch of times. Why do I know him? And then it occurred to me that he was in all those old westerns as the villain. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like, like it's for a movie that was a fairly early movie in cam in camera in Carpenter's career. There's a lot of pretty big name actors, or at least people that had been big name actors. A lot of actors of the day, you know. Again, Ernest Borgnine was in The Wild Bunch, and Lee Van Cleef we just talked about. And, Donald uh, Pleasance, yeah. Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Uh, seven, seven, 77 Sunset Strip, the man who shot Liberty Valance. I believe he was the man that shot Liberty Valance, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. In the so. great eyes of Caves. Yeah. yeah. That That's funny, because one of the things that I, I don't know, if I live to be a thousand, I won't forget this. When Greg and I were watching it the first time back in the 90s, you know, the running joke, <laughs> the running joke is, Snake Plissken, oh man, I, uh, man, I heard you were dead, you know? So then we finally see the Isaac Hayes character pop up and, you know, he's like Snake Plissken, you know, he's looking at him and then Greg and I look at each other. We're like, I thought you were dead. And he goes, <laughs> and then, and then right immediately, dude, I don't know if you remember this, Greg, but like a second later, he goes, I thought you were dead. <laughs> and we're, I don't know why it was just one of those funny, ridiculous things that like. Like I think we at that point we had like caught on to what this movie was and uh, <laughs> and it was just it was just such a funny ridiculous little moment I don't know I I I uh, that line I thought you were dead I, that's stuck with me for twenty plus years it's never I'm, I'm never gonna like, forget that line I think it's funny that everyone knows him because when he's okay yeah he was a military hero I believe yes and like then he was a bank robber but like. I don't know a single bank robber that isn't Billy the Kid, but they. But every single person is like, "I heard you were dead." Yeah. And I it's, love. It's... I love how that came around at the very end of the movie, where you know he's he's finally uh, come, making his way down the uh, the Empire State Building. Uh, I'm sorry, the um, the uh, Twin Towers. And um, Brain is like, "I swear to God, Snake, I thought you were dead." He's like, "Yeah, you and everybody else." You know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, is that your car in the lobby? <laughs> yeah. That was another thing. It was interesting seeing uh, New York with the towers and everything. That was yes, a uh, that was a weird. You see it with the outline, yeah, first, yeah. and then they and then it plays a major part in it, and it's like, oh, yeah, especially being uh, the week that this episode will come out is either going to be the week of nine eleven, the twentieth anniversary, uh, or like right the before. Week before, depending. Yeah. God, can yeah. you believe it's been 20 years? 20 years, it's crazy. So it's interesting that you guys are bringing that up now because um, this script was originally written, I believe, in 1975. It wasn't filmed, obviously, until 1980, and it was released in 81. But um, So, you know, if we're talking about a movie or, a, or a, a writer for a script that has the gift of foresight, so, you know, we're talking about a militarized police force across the United States. There's just one military police force across the entire United States. Um, we've decided to build a wall to keep out the, you know, the disenfranchised and the deplorables and what, what have you. A plane is hijacked by terrorists and flown into one of the buildings in New York City. You know what I mean? Like right, it's, right. it's kind of eerily uh, 
Um, There's a lot of parallels. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it just, it's very eerie how, you know, at the time that it was released, uh, we were in a completely, you know, we were in the Reagan era at the time. And, uh, and here we are in 2021 after, uh, you know, not to get political, but obviously I don't think there's anybody here that one way or the other would say that the past few years politically have been uh, roller, not roller in a coaster. state of unrest. Yeah. Roller coaster to say the least. Um, but it does mirror a lot of recent events in one yeah the, actually the really other. the only thing that that you could look back and be like yeah they would never turn the highest amount of real estate value into a prison they would totally put that somewhere else no. i thought that too and, <laughs> yeah like manhattan yeah. would be like nope sorry i thought the exact but same you're thing you're also talking yeah and you're talking about a world where the crime rate has risen above 400% so if you were trying to like visualize so if New York was what New York was back in, say, 1975, 1976, way before Giuliani ever got a hold of it, uh, it was a shithole. Like if you ever watch um, like Nighthawks is a really good example. Um, if you ever watch that movie, it's uh, an amazing snapshot of what parts of New York City was at that time, um, which now it's completely you know it's been gentrified it's it's been it's been given a facelift a lot of those areas don't even exist anymore but um if that's what it was in 1975 and then we took the real new york city of 1975 and then we quadrupled the amount of crime that we are dealing with on a daily basis then you're getting something that's almost into judge dread territory aren't you where you know severe decisions need to be made because we're literally losing that battle. Uh, I thought it was really interesting that, you know, there are no local or state police forces anymore. There's just one military police force. So basically just the military is, is coming and taking over everything. And that's and where everyone you... that does anything gets sent to New York. So it's, yeah, still you know, gum, they kind of, it seems like, yeah, they kind of make a, uh, a parody of it in the sequel, which uh, is if Escape from New York is my favorite movie, Escape from L.A. is my least favorite movie. But um, they do make a parody of what gets you sent to New York or what gets you de deported, if you will. And um, some of the reasons get to be kind of ridiculous. I mean, when you think about it, a bank robber who hasn't murdered anybody, a bank robber gets sent to New York for life. Yeah, basically a death sentence, because theoret theoretically, when they made this place, there's no like food drops or anything it doesn't seem like no there is there's actually a food drop in the movie um they do oh, they're, yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, there they're is. in uh central park yeah 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 yeah, yeah. but still like they they drop one thing of food 90 guys get to it and the other one million don't right. so exactly uh, yeah but it's funny you know, you're a you're, lot of people are... you're you're right about about that derek um the new york of the 70s because we have to uh, you know, we look at the. I thought the same thing as what Greg said. Like, I'm, I'm watching this and it's walled off, and I'm like, dude, that's there's no way. Like that real estate and that like the amount of like the you know you've got Wall Street, you've got all these things that'll never happen. But in the context of 1970s New York, because this is made in 1980, right? It makes mm -hmm. perfect sense. <laughs> New York was uh, it was a rough town <laughs> back in those days. Yeah, it was dude. not. You know, they made Taxi Driver for a reason. It wasn't. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? You know, and if, and if it's a world where we lost all of that control, then, again, you know, it, it's it's still far-fetched no matter how you 
slice it. But still, if you want to suspend a little bit of disbelief, you know, if we get to a point where we need to do something drastic in order to regain control over this world, you know, uh, we have to inflict a punishment that's worthy of making somebody think twice where nothing else will, you know, putting you in a, a situation where ba like, I don't, I don't know if it was Greg or Omar or, or Rob that said it, but uh, a death sentence. As soon as you go in there, you're fucked. You're just gone. You know, like there's no way you're going to survive it, especially when, you know, people are cannibalizing each other and, and there's already gangs that have been established. I mean, even snake himself didn't escape being caught. Um, mm -hmm. So can you imagine like some low level guy that's just, you know, dropped in there by himself in the middle of nowhere, just like, Hey, yeah. take it easy. It's one of those where, where we say it's far fetched, but if you can sell the idea of, okay, like look, New York prison now, that's it. But everything else from that point to me seemed not as far-fetched. And it's even like the little things, like the Duke's car where he's got the chandeliers yeah. on the front of it. Like every time I see that, I'm like, like I could totally see him like, you know, scavenging some old hotel or something to get those that's things. exactly what like, I thought Like just of. little, like little things like that. Like that kind of makes sense. Did you guys, um, did well, anybody and, here, with the exception of Rob, ever see the uh, alternate opening scene for the movie that was supposed to appear before the opening credits? No, no. I didn't know there was one. Did I? Did I? No, so if if anybody ever, well, most of, most of you guys are probably streaming it now. Uh, I don't know if anybody has a physical copy, but most newer physical copies has that as an extra in there. And it's this whole alternate opening sequence where you actually see the bank robbery. And uh, so there's a scene in the movie when he meets Brain. And remember, he's like, Harold Hellman. He's like, you left me sitting there. Remember Fresno Bob? You know what they did to Bob? There's a scene where you see all of that happen. So there's, um, it opens up, if, if I may, it opens up yeah. in, a, uh, in a bank. And uh, you're seeing like these little robotic, uh, like drones, if you will, kind of going across the floor. Kind of like, um, I don't know, what do you call those? automatic those electric uh uh vacuum like cleaners those, yeah like a Roomba kind of thing kind yeah. of going around or the mouse droids from and the uh, yeah so it's kind of implied that there's no actual currency anymore that where we do everything by credit and uh you see in this bank uh there's a voiceover that says you know the bank's going to close in like five minutes you know everybody make your final deposits and exit and you see somebody dressed up like a mechanic leaving the bank and you see you you're seeing him from behind and the camera follows him out in one shot. He goes down the hallway and he goes up to an elevator. And the minute he gets in the elevator and closes the door, he takes off his jumpsuit, takes off his hat and it's Snake Plissken. And he's carrying a, a satchel filled with credit cards. And uh, his friend Fresno Bob Taylor is waiting for him. Uh, there's a, in, again, in the future, there's supposed to be an underground subway that takes you from Cal New York to California and uh, just all the way across the United States. And, um, you know, they, they rewire it. They hop on the, the subway, and they think that they made it. And uh, they both fall asleep, and then they wake up. I guess it's supposed to be California, the way it was it was told in the movie. And when they get into the, um, when they get into, like, the, once they depart and go upstairs, there's nobody in the terminal whatsoever. The terminal is completely empty, and they're like, why is the terminal empty? Then all of a sudden out of the blue, the United States police force just starts shooting them up. 
and uh, Snake ducks and he kind of goes to escape and he notices that his friend didn't make it. And he he's kind of sitting there kind of making a decision. Should I go back or should I take off? And uh, he makes the decision to go back for his friend. And when he goes back upstairs, his friend's already been shot a bunch of times. And, and his friend's like, run, Snake, get out of here. And then they shoot his friend dead in front of him. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, in every in every corridor comes the military. And Snake gives up. And you see him lose what's left of his soul in that moment in time. And uh, in the pocket novel that they made for this movie, there was... Um, a scene where they talked about how he was like an idealized officer. He really wanted to do uh, good. You know, he had like this um, uh, version of what was going on that he really believed in. And slowly, little by little, he was getting fucked over. He got hurt unnecessarily twice. Uh, he lost an eye while he was overseas fighting in Leningrad. His parents were killed. Both of them were burned to death. Uh, by a um, urban relocation program gone wrong. So he came back to, you know, what a lot of vets, you know, using Vietnam as an example, uh, those vets came thinking that they were going to be decorated and celebrated and they were spat on and they were uh, cursed and they couldn't get jobs and they couldn't live. And, you know, uh, they were, um, they, they learned a hard truth. And when we meet Snake, He's learned his last hard truth, and he's just not there anymore. And that's what I dug about the character so much is that, you know, I think as we go through life, if you, if, especially when you see a movie like that, for me, at that young age, as you age and you keep watching it, it starts to mean different things to you. And you start seeing the world from different points, different character points of view. You know, we all start off uh, young and idealistic. We want to take on the world. You know, think about what you were like on your first day of college. You were on your way, you know, you were going to, um, you were going to become all of these different things, all your dreams. I am here. Where are the sorority houses? <laughs> right. And then you realized that uh, there was the, <laughs> in order to get into the sorority, you had to tie a brick around your penis and, uh, and fuck a goat or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, we don't talk about that. Well, I wasn't part of any sororities and that's why. It was uh, actually the goat had to come first because after the the tying a brick thing, that was you don't, you don't want to go near a goat, right? Exactly. I've said too I've said too much. You I'm said sorry. way too much. <laughs> but you know, as we get older, we we start to you know learn what the the world is really about and how it really works. And uh, it's easy to become very cynical. Uh, it's easy to become very dark. It's much much harder to maintain a positive viewpoint and find good in things. Um, so on many, many levels, I relate to that character. And, uh, and I've actually related to a lot of different characters in the movie, depending on what point in my life I watched it. And I, I will say it makes a little bit more sense there with what you were talking about is the one uh, unified military police force. Because initially, that was not the impression that I got watching the movie. Mm. Because I just thought that since the president was involved, that the military kind of took over. I didn't really get that it was a... Uh, that it was the military was the only police force. I agree. So, yeah. I mean, having having that initial opening scene would have made a significant difference in in how I actually saw the movie. Well, the other How thing, many YouTube videos? Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say real quick, the other thing that, Derek, that you put into focus that I didn't realize, I didn't think of this movie, and I should have, because I usually have much more of a historical context when I watch stuff, is the backdrop of Vietnam. 
because this movie was made in 80, so Vietnam was fresh. And mm-hmm. like you know, it was and, written in seventy five, and well, it was still going. So, right, exactly. That's a that's another point. Well, it's just like Rambo, like the First Blood when it came out. I mean, Vietnam was still a fresh wound that America was dealing with. This is the same thing. It's just put in a post apocalyptic, uh, you know, uh, setting. Skin. Yeah, that's really really interesting. I didn't really really I didn't really think about that. And of course, not knowing about his past and all that that's a that's a hell of a lot of backstory that's super super interesting um that adds so much dimension to the movie i'm gonna watch it again maybe tonight like with that in my head because like you really got into my head with that that was really interesting i like uh omar that you you spoke about rambo uh, first blood part two perhaps well both um, of them first blood and rambo the second one sure so Rambo, First Blood Part Two, um, that was written by James Cameron. I did not know and, that either. Uh, it, I didn't know that. Yeah. So huh. if you follow the narrative of that story, you've got a war hero turned criminal uh, who's given a deal to go behind enemy lines and retrieve X. You know, in that case, I think it was pictures. But then once he got in there, um, he decided to rescue POWs, which was not the mission. And then when he went to go escape, he was abandoned and he had to find a way to escape on his own. And it turned into yet another time clock situation. And then, you know, when he finally gets extracted or he extracts himself, you know, by the skin of his teeth, um, he has to go face his own, you know, the military again uh, and kind of stick it to him at the end. So loosely, (laughs) it's it's kind of the same. same. Interesting. I just thought it was very weird watching watching Rambo. I understood just enough when I was a kid that when it became a cartoon, I was like, this is not appropriate. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's funny. Like, Rambo and his amazing friends. No, that's not that's at all not what it what's should happening. be. <laughs> yeah. The Toxic Crusaders. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> True. We, we have talked about doing a, a Give Me Five question periodically about things that are completely inappropriate for kids that were turned into properties for kids. Um, <laughs> this this is one of those movies where where it is a movie set in the future, but the future has already passed when you watch it. Mm-hmm. So there's always that little like in the far future of 1997. Right. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. 97 was like, when it, the, it, the this... new iMac came out <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Like at, at that point, we were supposed to be we were supposed to be running around wearing sports equipment and like starting street games. <laughs> <laughs> What was that Schwarzenegger movie? Um, um, with the Running Man. Running Man. Running Man. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> or the Warriors. Or uh... what was the, the? There's a. Isn't that around the same time that the Clockwork Orange takes place? Maybe. Clockwork Orange was supposed to be what year? That's my. That's what I'm saying. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I haven't seen it in forever. But it's got to be. It, it was. It was for the time that it was made. It was. Set far farther in the future. Nineteen eighty. That's when it was set, or when it was made, because it was made in the seventies. The novel, the novel was to be set in the year nineteen eighty. That's funny. I always love when you when when we do these podcasts and I very quickly like Google stuff. It says that people also ask, "Is Clockwork Orange based on a true story?" What? I would hope not. (laughs) Jesus. But like. That it that's always the first question. It'll be like, is Care Bears Adventures in Wonderland oh, based on a true story? <laughs> no. 
<laughs> I thought that was a foregone actually, conclusion. <laughs> yes. Someone actually sat down and was like, the Gummy Bears TV show, was that real? <laughs> I'm really high, so is this real? <laughs> I'm going to Google this. <laughs> the Gummy Bears TV show is totally real. <laughs> so are the Gummy Bears. I watched 15 edibles. Yeah. <laughs> that oh tab you dropped was certainly real. Oh yes, my god, that's exactly. so funny. <laughs> Uh, where, where do we want to go from here? We've talked about special effects. We've talked about the the creation of it and and Snake Plissken as a beloved antihero. Uh, want to do villains? Or we could do Romero. He was what's up with that dude? Which one's Romero? With uh, the, the funky, the, he's the uh, David Bowie on crack. Yeah, with the guy. hair. <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming I'm assuming named after George Romero because of some of the other names in this movie. Yep, so Romero is named after George Romero. Cronenberg uh, is, is named after David Cronenberg. Cronenberg, right. I think, I, think there's, I think that's it for the Easter eggs on that one. But I'm was, not exactly I thought there sure. was one more. Well, Duke for John Wayne, I would assume. I mean, it's, it, his name also makes sense, but there was a lot of Western references too. Yeah, no, very well could be. Yeah, maybe it was Duke I'm thinking. Because I did catch a couple of those. I was like, wait, Cronenberg? Really? Romero? Really? Mm, okay. Mm -hmm. interesting but you know you mentioned uh how expedient the movie was you know like uh at the end when they're when they're doing that race across the bridge and the bombs are blowing up and you know Mm -hmm. then eventually they end up on foot and and everything else there's not go this this way there's not this giant yeah (laughs) i said left damn it (laughs) (laughs) the map was upside down um But there's not this big boss fight at the end. You know, you expect, like, at the very end that Snake and and the Duke are going to go toe-to-toe, but he's got no fucking time left at all. So he has to get the gun out of his hand. He's got to shake him up a little bit, and then he's got to get the fuck out of there. And uh, I remember the first time I watched the movie all the way through, that was such a nail-biting scene. I was completely at the edge of my seat. And I was not expecting the ending that we got, which, again, I don't know if you guys want to go there. but um, Yeah, we can. We talk about character arcs for the president. Um, you know, just kind of using Snake as bait so he could kill the Duke. And that amazing moment. Well, and <laughs> the tape. Gonna, mm-hmm. I'm not going to do the voice. The tape. No, well, yeah, that the tape, tape I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Without so I mean, we don't have to... We were still listening to cassettes. Well, <laughs> that's. <laughs> That's a whole other this thing, but I thought it was interesting honor. that he did it the way he did it without getting into. Well, but in eighty one, the cassette was the new form Correct. of media. Yeah, but it takes place in ninety seven, so. Right, but they, I mean, the cassette had just become a big thing, and I don't think they even had anything having to do with discs at that no, point. The, no, no, not for another four. The first CD to come out was uh, "Born in the USA," which was like four years later. No, it was actually Cold Spring Harbor. Cold Spring Harbor, what's that? The Billy Joel album was the first ever song. Really? I, every word that I've ever read was born in the USA. And what year was it? 82. That's the first oh. CD. Interesting. Okay, good. I learned something. Because CD technology was invented by Sony, and Billy Joel was a Sony recording person. Okay. So. Got it. Interesting. All right. But even so, it's before that, this movie That useless made. bit of knowledge... That useless bit of knowledge was brought to us by our mutual friend. I was going to say that's got to be a rich thing. There's no way. <laughs> I'm sorry, it wasn't Cold Spring Harbor. He's going to come. He's going to literally drive over here and kick me in the nuts. It's 52nd Street, but still Billy Joel. 
Um, All right, you want you, October first, nineteen eighty-two. All right, we're gonna make him forget about you. Billy Joel is just eh. <laughs> I am putting up my hurricane. No, that doesn't work because speak. I've already done that. <laughs> All right, Rich, I'm ready, buddy. <laughs> or wait, that episode never actually saw the light of day, did it, Greg? I uh, did not. The Rob is un-American. That is true. Or one of our yeah, but yeah, you get to you guys out there get to hear some reminiscing about our early episodes where we recorded full episodes that never got released because we didn't know what the hell we were doing. And it took us about I'm not sure we still know what the hell we're it doing, took us but... to about episode two hundred and fifty until we finally figured it out. So stay tuned. <laughs> stay tuned. <laughs> so are there still full episodes that have yet to be released or will never be? I think that one got lost, didn't it? The first two episodes got lost. But not like I have them, but they were never they didn't record well, so mm-hmm. it would the editing process would be a nightmare. Uh, the episode that I did with just me and Jimmy talking about a Metallica concert at about two hours in, we were still talking about the traffic finding and parking. parking and finding parking <laughs> and the opening bands, and I'm like, this is not that like this episode's gonna be longer than the concert itself. This is so that went away. It was longer than the whole tour. <laughs> That's. <laughs> When I'm sti- when I'm sitting on I four and I'm just waiting to get into a concert and really wanting to see uh, Volbeat and like all I see is like some lady peeing on the side of the road. It was because there was construction, so the one was like holding onto a piece of rebar, <laughs> peeing through the cement that had been chipped away from it down below. Holy shit! Like, this is when Volbeat opened. Yeah. Is that the tour? Oh yeah. man! I would yeah, love to she was like one. peeing, holding onto the rebar with one hand, and then like saw me in the car, and she gave me the finger with her other hand as she was pissing through the the road. I was like, "This is great. This is see, it did need to be talked about. Maybe not for three okay. hours." I, hold that, on a second. Did... I have an issue with this situation. How does she know you? She doesn't know that you were judging her. Maybe you were like in your mind. I was judging her. <laughs> she, she... Maybe, but she doesn't know that. <laughs> she saw in, it in his in eyes. your mind. You might have been thinking, you know what, lady. You're doing you you're doing what you got to do, and I appreciate that. I respect that. It could have been a like attaboy, like you know. <laughs> it could have been like the positive middle finger, you know. Uh... You could have you could have given her the thumbs up, Greg. Then she then would she have known. known. You're on her team, right? <laughs> I know. I to be honest, I I didn't want to have any interaction. That's fair with her yeah, at this moment. Fair. You're making eye contact in her most intimate, private moment. <laughs> <laughs> Is that one of your uh, first "Welcome to Florida"? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Instances. We don't we don't know her name, but <laughs> she is a Florida lady. <laughs> oh my god! I can't do this. Uh, I can't live this way. <sighs> uh, wow. Anyway, yeah. let's uh, go back to now. Yeah. So where were we? I, we got derailed here, and I'm never going to find it again. Uh, oh, I, so I did write down some things. The, uh, the Donald Pleasance situation, because that was another one of those big-name actors. He had already, of course, worked with uh, Carpenter on Halloween at this point. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it is a little interesting, you know, the whole British accent thing, and as well as the – you said you weren't going to do the, the impression, but the the way he screams at the end of this movie. <laughs> the. I think Donald Pleasance wrote his own backstory because, you know, we have a, a United States president with a British accent. And uh, it was something having to do with um, – I can't remember the name of the evangelist, but he had sex with Margaret Thatcher and they gave birth to him. And, uh, again, I don't I don't really remember it all, but it was kind of goofy and weird. Was it Jim but... Baker? 
Maybe, who knows? <laughs> no, it was probably, uh, back then it was probably Graham. Billy that would Graham? be Billy Graham. Yeah. Yeah, he was, he yeah, was older than... Swagger and Baker weren't that big yet until like the mid-80s. Correct. But I always had fun trying to figure out what happened the second after the movie was over. So, you know, obviously the only thing he wants back from the president is some sort of recognition for the the escape that everybody went through and, and a lot of people died for. And of course, the president shows his true colors. And, uh, you know, this whole... And I don't know how much of a, of a solution rests on one side of a cassette tape, but, um, you know, based on the fact that he didn't have it and that he kind of, you know, made himself look like a fool in front of the world on the world stage playing, you know, American Bandstand and Snake <laughs> destroying the real tape. I'm, I'm just, I'm always wondered to this day, I still wonder where, what happens the second after the movie is over. Is there no uh, whatever? Is there not? Is there nothing that fills in the gap between this and Escape from L.A.? Some kind of like comic. Uh, no. Escape from L.A. You speak I would... of. I don't think that's a thing. <laughs> right here, now that you've mentioned it, though, I would also like to point out that the tape was also one of the pivotal points of the plot of Suicide Squad. It's true. Yeah, true. Wait, the you the, think the these guys have made Squad? a fucking copy, right? So you know, I wonder if the president had made some sort of, you know, recognition to the people that saved him if Snake would have handed over that tape or if he would have just been so done at that point, no matter what, that he would have just destroyed it. Um, you know, from a presidential point of view, I'm a little shocked that they only had one one tape. <laughs> you know, that they wouldn't have made like 19 copies of the same thing just in case of a situation like this. But, um, you know... On one of the most recordable pieces of, you know, hardware that there are, there was at the time, <laughs> and mm. they never, never thought to make a copy of the goddamn <laughs> tape. I knew we forgot something. <laughs> okay, wall off New York. Check. <laughs> yeah. Turn Liberty Island into a, a into the headquarters. Check. Uh, what else? Mines on all of the bridges. Yeah, mines. Check. Uh, helicopters, uh, check. Stop at CVS and get a package of Memorex. (laughs) (laughs) I think we're good, boys. That's it. (laughs) Synth music, check. All right, done. Yep, we're good. (laughs) And we're good. But if you guys need more Escape from New York, Uh, I guess I'll just say this. You could always watch, of course, Escape from L.A., which Mm -hmm. literally is uh, a very, in my opinion, it's a very bad movie. But it does have a really cool ending that I won't spoil here in case you guys haven't seen it. But um, there was apparently a movie called Lockout that I never saw, but uh, it was a Luke Benson movie. And uh, John Carpenter actually took them to court and won because the movie was apparently such a distinct ripoff of Escape from New York. Um, if you guys watch Doomsday, has anybody seen the movie Doomsday? The um, Neil Marshall movie, I think. It is was. that with um, what's her face? What's her name? The beautiful, uh, yes, tall girl with the, with the brown hair that was British in one of the Underworld movies. Yes, yes. So she's basically in that Kate movie. No, 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 she was the replacement for Kate Beckinsale in one movie in that series. She's like Kate Beckinsale with 
more of a punk attitude, I guess, if you want to put it that way. Does that does that work? Yeah, sure. But Doomsday is an I don't I wouldn't say that Doomsday is a rip off of Escape from New York. It's more like of a a wink wink Theo James? homage kind of thing. I'm thinking Rona Mitra. Rona Mitra. Rona Mitra. Word. That's the one. Yes. She I'm even has the, a mechanical. I'm good at the googling. She even has a mechanical eye that she can take out of her head and roll around corners. Um, but that has a lot of Escape from New York in it, um, including a wall. Um, uh, there's I joked around earlier, but the Italians had their way with anything that was going on in the United States back in the 70s and 80s. Like they would just wait for whatever we came out with and then they would make a bunch of knockoffs of it. So if you guys want knockoffs of Escape from New York from Italy, you can watch 2019 After the Fall of New York, which is almost a cross between New York and Planet of the Apes. Um, you can see 1990, The Bronx Warriors, which is actually uh, a send-up of Escape from New York and The Warriors, which is surprisingly a lot of fun to watch. And Kevin Williamson is in that. No, not Kevin Williamson. Sorry, uh, uh, shit, what is his name? Fred Williamson is in that movie. Uh-oh. Oh, no shit. And that movie actually spawned one sequel called Escape from the Bronx. So if you guys want to further that experience and uh, keep the party going so to speak. Um, I, have not seen the, I have not seen the Bronx Warriors, and I really should have because it's like right up my alley. It ties very heavily into the nostalgia end of it. You know, I don't know if it'll mean the same thing to you, if you'll have as much fun with it watching it now. But, um, and again, you know, with the with the uh, dawn of, of cable in my hometown, you know, I was, I was kind of privy to, and a video store within 100 feet of my house. Um, I was privy to all of this fun stuff. So, um, as many and, Red Sox games as you could possibly watch. Yes. And if you're looking for another Kurt Russell vessel, I would definitely recommend The Thing as well as Big Trouble in Little mm. China, two completely mm-hmm. different movies, but both very enjoyable. Excellent movie. Hell yeah. Yeah. Big Trouble in Little China is another one I saw in the theater. That was a great one. Fantastic. So you, Omar, you must have been... Fucking classic. 12, 13 at the time? Ish? Um, I, I'm 45 Maybe 14? Now. Yeah, so uh, that was, was what, 86? So, yeah, so 86. Yeah, you're, you're 10. 10, yeah. What I a great saw, time to see that movie. That was uh, so much fun. It was great. But that's the thing All about right, Kurt I'm going to tell you a story, and I don't want to hear the words act of God, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but that's funny because it's like Kurt Russell's one of these guys, exactly, like at that age... He was like, right as I'm kind of becoming aware of all this like badassery and, you know, you had your Rambo and, um, you know, Terminator and, you know, like Schwarzenegger and those guys. But Kurt Russell to me is right up there with those guys because of these movies at that time, you know, um, to me, to me, as far as action movies go, Kurt Russell's Big Trouble in Little China was kind of like Jackie Chan for the martial arts movies. You know, because he was the was funny. He was the yeah. the comedic yeah. action yeah. guy, and it worked. It was it was all just really well done. Yeah, it w- but he did it. He did it a lot more. Well, no, he did some of it slapstick, but he did a lot of dialogue with it as well. Yeah, when he's the truck driver and he's like the beginning of the movie. Yeah, it was great. <clears throat> now, if he was doing Clint Eastwood in Escape from New York, he was doing John Wayne in, in Big Trouble in Little China. At, at times, oh, yeah. he he for sure yeah. was. Na- yeah. Obviously, at the time, being ten years old, I didn't realize that. But you're a hundred percent correct. He was he was totally the Duke or whatever. Like he was 
That's what he was channeling. But but it was crossed with something else because he was just so goofy. The oh, yeah. the whole listen to the old pork chop express on a dark and stormy night. <laughs> <laughs> what a great movie! Oh my god, that's amazing. So there's a comic book out. I think it was by Dynamite Entertainment. It came out I think maybe two or three years ago, where it's mm. uh, Escape from New York meets Big Trouble in Little China. What? Or so Jack Burton versus Snake Plissken. No. Are you serious? Yeah. Was, I have was no idea. It's, that, yeah, it's only a couple years old. This was the old. one that had not so good art, if I remember correctly. No, actually, so there was a comic book. Uh, there was a few of them. Um, Escape from New York kind of went on. Uh, they did a Snake Plissken's Chronicles. Uh, Marvel did that, and it was not very good. Um, then there was a four-issue series. I think it was by Dynamite, but I'm not sure. Um, then there was an official sequel to Escape from New York called Escape from New York, and it just kept on going from the end of the movie. And that was the one I remember seeing a long time ago that had really, really terrible artwork. Uh, but then there was uh, Big, uh, Big Trouble in Little China versus Escape from New York or Snake Plissken versus Jack Burton. And that had like a almost like an anime kind of artwork to it. Um, but not anime, excuse me, but animation style artwork, like a, almost like a Disney animation style. But it was really, it looked really cool. I never picked it up. Hmm. But I heard it was a lot of fun, and I heard it was made to be a lot of fun. You know, it was obviously a, uh, it's all just a big joke because they're both Kurt Russell. But um, I don't know if you guys are into that kind of stuff and you want to pick it up. Well, let me know if it was any good. Derek, let me ask you, since you mentioned comics, talk to me about Roughhouse. Sure. Yeah, I was gonna say we're gonna take a giant swerve here. Um, good, you, you, good segue there, Omar. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that I just, that I just stepped it's on. Just the vodka. Omar, it's you've the vodka. you've done this before, haven't you? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Slide dog, you. I, I'm, I'm just halfway into a fifth of vodka. So, sure. Yes. I, I feel underhydrated. I'm only having a uh, Canada Dry ginger ale. Well, that's good too. Throw some vodka yeah. in it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, Trust me. all you need. <laughs> uh, so, you know, two-thirds two of you guys have had the pleasure of, of knowing me when I was uh, a struggling artist coming up. And uh, I'm still a struggling artist. But, um, you know, again, that idealistic uh, artist, if we're going to, you know, uh, draw parallels to uh, Snake Plissken. And now I'm a, a, a grizzled artist. Uh, a cynical fucking artist but uh um i started roughhouse publishing uh as a way to um publish my own stuff without interference from outside people um in the in the comic book industry specifically a lot of artists especially artists which is it's an art driven medium are just taken advantage of horribly um so originally i wanted to just kind of do my own thing i had a couple creator owned projects um, and I wanted to create a quote unquote house, if you will, uh, or shelter, if you will, uh, to kind of do my own thing. And that kind of spiraled as it, as it often does, you know, uh, ideas, um, gain momentum, you meet people and you, uh, and you get different offers on the table and, uh, and it's turned into what it is now. Uh, it's, it's something that I'm very, very proud of. We're hundred percent independent. Um, we've done. So what we've done, interestingly, so I had two comic book companies. One I started in the early 2000s, uh, and we did comic book li like uh, movie licenses, excuse me. Um, and this time around, we did comic book licenses. So we would revive old, defunct 
comic books or comic book titles from defunct uh, comic book companies. Uh, so we did two so far. We're actually finishing up a, uh, a run on what's called Gore Shriek, which is uh, the elevator pitch is that it's um, it was an 80s comic book that was basically from the splatterpunk era. Uh, it's like a sadistic creep show, like a more sadistic creep show. Okay. It's an anthology. Um, it's black and white. Um, and again, it was originally part of that whole black and white boom of comics that started in the 80s with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and kind of everybody in them. Like there was a whole uh, run of black and white comics in that era that were done on the independent circuit. Um, and Gore Shriek was certainly one that was uh, one that was sold oftentimes behind the counter. So it's Gore Shriek. Um, Is that all one word? I've never heard of that. Gore Shriek, two words. Okay. Um, so it originally came out in 1986, and it ran basically until 1991. And then um, we revised it for its 30-year anniversary. Uh, we worked with the original publisher, uh, Tom Schoolin of Fantico Enterprises, and we said we want to do an anniversary issue of Gore Shriek, and that turned into two, which is now getting turned into three. So, um, so do you, yeah, are you republishing all... the old stuff and then also doing new stuff? No, we're doing like so for that project. It's all been new, so this is just yet new issues in that franchise. Huh. Um, each book is about thirty. So basically, what we do in Rough House is we sell our comic books as events instead of comics. So um, you know, a lot of times you'll go buy stuff now on pre-order because not only of the 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 product, but of all the extras that come with it, you know, so maybe you buy a, a vinyl record and it comes with stickers and a t-shirt and a digital copy and whatever, or maybe you buy a Blu-ray and it comes with all these extra features or whatever. So we try to do the same thing only with our comic books. So okay. we do very high-end independent comics, uh, high-end meaning that, uh, you know, I oversee the entire process from the type of paper that's used to, you know, uh, UV coating on the covers and all that kind of stuff. We want to make a very durable product. Uh, but we also want to have a lot of fun with it because we're we're printing actual books. We don't do anything digital. Uh, there's no digital version of our comics that's, that are available. Um, so we do stickers and we've done soundtracks, uh, uh, pins, uh, posters, pretty much everything that you can think of. We've we've had as extras in our books. You, and you can't forget the best giveaway ever. What's that? One of them. The 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 barf bag. I, I was hoping. Yep. <laughs> Yes, we had a barf bag in one of them, um, lobby cards, uh, postcards. We've done all sorts of different kinds of fun things to kind of tie everything together and make it so that when you buy, first of all, that you're getting more for your money, um, much more for your money, um, and hopefully uh, creating an experience for you where you want to hold on to that and you're going to want to revisit every so often. Um, keep it on a special shelf instead of just turning it around on eBay or something. And uh, we've done this with two separate comic book titles. The first one was called The Dead, uh, which was a defunct comic book series from the early 90s, which was um, probably the most brutal zombie comic that nobody ever saw at the time for the most part. Um, so we reprinted all of the old issues and we added to the story in addition to it. And again, all sorts of extras. But that was a 300-page book Damn. that we did. Uh, it's now out of print. Um, and now we're working on creator-owned projects, and we're looking at ways to introduce those projects to the public in a new way. So um, there's a lot of irons on the fire right now. We're trying to figure out what um, 
we want to do next. The last book that we did was actually a novel uh, that um, Give Me Five had a lot to do with promoting uh, in the beginning. So I wanted to thank you guys for that. Omar, this was a little bit before your time. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, But we did our first full-length novel. Um, We did a hardcover edition, a softcover edition. Uh, We did an audio book for it. Um, Again, stickers, pins, bookmarks, uh, double-sided posters, um, all sorts of fun stuff. So again, you know, you're getting so much more for your your purchase. Um, And we actually uh, started a sister company to Rough House called Rough House Pulp, uh, which is specifically for our novel line that we want to continue doing. Um, We talked during the Escape from New York segment about the pocket novel that came with uh, escape from New York. And, um, uh, that was a big thing. They still kind of do it now, but, um, it was super huge back in the day, you know, like I, I don't want to date myself, but if you walked into like a Bradley's in 1983, there was a whole giant wall dedicated to pocket novels. Um, some of them were like those old romance novels that you can get at CVS that still exist to this day. And then, you know, with Fabio on the cover uh-huh. and, uh, then the, there was sometimes, uh, pocket novels of movies and what was charming about those is they were usually based on the working script before it was the movie was filmed so a lot of times it was either a reworking of the movie or it was what you'd consider almost like a director's cut um, a lot of things that end up on the cutting room floor during the the process of making movies uh, existed a lot of times in these pocket novels so we want to do a lot of those uh, but we want to do pocket novels for movies that never, like nobody would ever even dare, ever even want to spend that much attention on. So um, we're going to have a lot of fun turning some really schlocky um, 70s horror movies into, you know, like we're going to spend a lot of attention and time to make these really amazing pocket novels. So lots of little things that we're working on right now. But uh, right now we're, we're marketing our newest book, which is called Mark of the Witchworm, which is written by Steve Ann Sampson, my Rough House partner. Uh, he was on uh, Give Me Five in an earlier episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and you guys did a book review and yet another episode. So thank you very, very much for that. Um, I, I'm really hoping that you enjoyed the books. Um, oh, they're great. Yeah. <laughs> and just kind of as an aside, uh, as we're kind of, talking about this i'd like to spend a couple seconds and paint you guys as fence um so when i draw um for me personally it's a very uh boring experience it's almost like watching somebody else draw uh which is fun for about 10 minutes and then you're like you know thinking about my laundry you know (laughs) (laughs) um so to kind of keep my mind busy a lot of times i listen to i used to listen to movie commentaries back when like dvds were a thing and uh, now I listen to a ton of podcasts. So I've really had the pleasure of, you know, I remember talking to Greg before Give Me Five was even a thing. And he was talking about wanting to do this podcast. And he had already had the skeleton of what he wanted to do with it. He already had the name and the theme. And, of course, uh, through that whole process, I had a, an opportunity to get to know Rob through uh, the, listening to the podcast every week mm-hmm. and Jimmy back when Jimmy was on the show. And uh, Omar, when I heard that you... I've apologized for Rob many, many times. (laughs) But, you know, you guys... And I would like to say that Greg and I had been talking about doing this podcast for years. I mean, we went through many iterations. It was initially going to be like a um, a dinner and a... uh, like a dinner and a movie thing where we like cooked a dinner and watched a movie and talked about the movie and, and also showed everybody how to make something that we were cooking. That's interesting. Maybe I'll steal that from you someday. That's a good idea. There you go. 
Yeah, it's not. I get idea. to be a guest at some point, and I get to eat good food. Yeah, you <laughs> yeah. thank you. Now someone's gonna steal it and become a millionaire, right? <laughs> Somewhere out there, Emerald Emerald Lagasse's like, "We're coming back," you know. <laughs> Gonna spice bam! it. Up a bit. I was gonna say bam, 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 and gore. Woo! But I gotta say, I've I've had the pleasure of of watching this or listening to this podcast evolve, and um, you know I've listened to every episode. I listen a lot when I'm drawing, um, and it's just been a pleasure, guys. And now that Omar's part of the the mix, uh, it's been even that much better. So Omar, I'm I'm really glad that you're uh, that I get to keep up with you via. You know, the interwebs. Well, thank you, sir. <laughs> That's very cool. I appreciate that. For sure, guys. Um, I'm, I'm actually, right now, I'm on um, roughhousepublishing.com. Like, I'm just checking yes, it sir. out. And I I really like the... Uh, oh, where was it? I'm on the homepage. And there was the cover. I was expecting him to be like, I'm on roughhousepublishing.com, and you should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> I get Well, I get that too, so I wouldn't be surprised if that was the response. But. Well, no, there, God, what, what, where, where did, how did I get here? There was a, um, there was, if you tell where me what am you were I? looking at, what am I I, what's going on? No, there, well, the, it was the, the, one of the, the reissues that you were just talking about, and they, the, the, the cover of it, like in black and white, is on here. And it was cool as shit. Oh, so if, if you go to a store and then go down to comics, I believe that's where all that yeah, stuff is. Was. I don't know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the website's really fun. You can go to uh, our online store. We have a comic section. We have a section now for novels. Um, one of the things that we do uh, that we kind of wanted an opportunity to 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 kind of get ourselves out there a little bit more is we actually offer wholesale offers to local comic book shops. So um, we've already served about seven comic book shops in this immediate area. Um, we hand deliver them. Uh, we sell them 12 at a time. They're, they're actually newsstand editions. They're different than the, the special editions that we sell. Uh, so they all have barcodes in the back. They're a little bit less quality. And what I mean by that is they're still more quality than the ones that you would normally get on a shelf. Um, but uh, they're a little bit more stripped down. There's no extras and everything else. So we do have multiple price points. Uh, the wholesale offers, the books are about $5 a book. Whereas if you have a special edition, it's usually like 10 or something like that. Uh, but we also sell for collectors, original artwork. We have an original artwork section. Um we have have a media tab that actually has all of the podcasts that we've ever done up to this point with other folks, and that's our way to help promote other podcasts. Oh. So you guys are actually on there. We're there. I just noticed nice. that. Yep, you guys are there. Um, and then we also have a page called Meet the Ruffians, and uh, that's where you can see our tour dates because uh, we do. We have a couple of shows coming up, one in Fairhaven, Mass., which is our first Massachusetts show since 2019. And then, guys, on October 20th, or I forgot about this, on October 22nd, we're coming to Orlando uh, for the Empire. So, you know, provided uh, that Florida doesn't break off and fall into the ocean, then uh, we'll certainly be there. <laughs> meth alligators. Meth. Yes, sir. <laughs> Everyone that comes to his table will get a free meth alligator. <laughs> you can either take it home or we'll have a special booth. You... He'll have a special booth where you can have sex with it right there. And we'll have seminars yes. on how to smoke it. So that's what... yeah. <laughs> no, I'm right now. I'm on. We, we're that's sure. where I was. Derek is roughhousepublishing.com/blog, uh, 
and there's like the cover to the Gore Shriek um, comic. And that's what I was trying to get at is like as I had started clicking around, but it's very, very interesting. Oh, yeah. It's really cool. It's black and white, but it's got yeah, like, so the every, yellow every... lettering. Yes, yes, yes. So um, there's been a, a few editions of them out there. Uh, we did a Kickstarter when we first, first started. Uh, the first couple of books we did were uh, crowdfunded, and now we just do a regular pre-order system. Um, but yeah, yeah um, we have articles on all the books that we've done to give you guys a little bit more information about the site, what we're up to. Um, we have a little thing called Ruffian of the Month. So every time, uh, you know, Rough House is built uh, by fans for fans. So our, our model, our motto, excuse me, is that our our fans are not fans; they're ruffians, so to speak. And uh, and uh, you know, we go town to town and we recruit ruffians, so to speak. And um, you know, they're they're the rock stars. So they don't, we don't, the people don't come to see us; we come to see them. That's why we get in a car, or we get on a plane, and we come visit other folks because uh, we want our picture taken with our fans because they're the best. And um, each month we pick somebody and we put them on a mock cover on our main page, on our news page, um, to kind of celebrate an individual every month, uh, to show our appreciation for those people that really like did things like unboxings, put us on our, put, put us on their podcast and so forth and so on. Um, we also have another article called, uh, comic casket, uh, where we do uh, deep dives into horror comics of the past and kind of give you our take on um, on different comics that have nothing to do with us, but inspired us, so that maybe you want to seek them out yourselves. And uh, so it's it's our way of kind of promoting a lot of different folks uh, in a lot of different media. So uh, it's hopefully not to to turn it into too much of a kumbaya moment, but it's kind of a communal experience where we're just kind of out there. Uh, doing this uh, and showing people that anybody that wants to do this has the power to do this. It just takes a little bit of, um, it takes a little bit of chutzpah, you know, and uh, a little bit of, uh, of time and effort. And, um, and then people can do this kind of thing too. Hopefully it's hopefully not to, to turn it into too much of a kumbaya moment, but it's kind of a communal experience where we're just kind of out there, uh, doing this uh, and showing people that anybody that wants to do this has the power to do this. It just takes a little bit of, um, it takes a little bit of chutzpah, you know, and uh, a little bit of, uh, of time and effort and, um, and then people can do this kind of thing too. Hopefully. What's, what's interesting is the, the horror world isn't necessarily the world's biggest fan group. Like every so often a movie will break through, but and especially when you get to the darker, more like hardcore horror, but they are very loyal and they can spot a fake a mile away. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because, you know, when I run into students all the time and I can tell like which students I can be like, hey, if you like horror comics, I know the place you can go. Just be aware it's not a horror comic as done by Marvel or, or DC in the 70s or something. <laughs> um, this is going to be hardcore horror comics, and but trust me, the person that is making them actually has a good heart. He's not a terrible person, but you'll like this art. <laughs> That's you know, I've, I've done that with multiple students, and I've had I, I believe I've had some people like, go out and they're like, "Oh my god, I love this stuff." So, 
Maybe we should put it on a T-shirt and we'll put the Massachusetts slang on that. So we'll call it horrible art with high. <laughs> That's awesome. And the, and the picture needs to be like a, a hand holding an actual heart with like blood running. I believe it's pronounced hot. It. It's hot with hot. Hot with hot. I've been so good. I was going to like be like, okay, you know. I need you to say the word that, like, happen- what's the word when someone passes gas? Come on, do it. But I didn't, <laughs> but you brought it up, so. Hey, who fought it? <laughs> there we go. <yes. laughs> My absolute favorite thing. I mean, but it's, no one ever says by that, by the way, no one ever says who fought it. They turn it into a fucking ordeal around here. So it's like, holy shit, who fought, who dropped that fucking stinker, kid? <laughs> holy Christ, somebody fucking shoved a fucking antelope up their fucking ass and it died <laughs> fucking alpaca is up there kid fucking <laughs> two at a time bro it's blown out o-rings like it's his fucking job o-rings oh my god <laughs> oh that's ridiculous oh. that's so much someone take a picture the vapor looks like the fucking slimer from ghostbusters <laughs> 2 kid so what i'm getting is a lot of subtlety subtlety in, in boston there's a lot of just very chill <laughs> vibes. So, <laughs> so if you guys ever come to to my neck oh of the woods, God. like you won't see it so much in Boston because Boston is, uh, you know, it's its own animal. It's uh, it's uh, really beautiful. A lot of fun things to do in Boston. But if you ever visit my, my neck of the woods, which is closer to what's called Worcester, which is uh, central Massachusetts, Worcester is an old mill town, and. Uh, they, they, they have a, a bunch of diners. So I'll send you guys a picture. I took a picture from the inside of a diner that I swear to God is only standing because of the amount of bumper stickers that are stuck to the inside of the fucking walls of this place. Like, literally, there's there's only going to be a few things left standing if a hurricane or a tornado ever comes through here. And it'll be fucking cockroaches and Miss Worcester Diner. You know, it's fucking insane. That's funny. And... Uh, <laughs> Like I told this joke a long time ago, so I remember uh, uh, me and a buddy went to a diner back when we were, you know, going out on Friday and Saturday nights. And two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, you need someplace to go, and the diners are open twenty four hours. So we go to this random diner. I won't even say the name of it because I don't want to insult anybody, but um, it's literally a tube. You know, it's just a a, a row of seats and a and a counter and. The short order cook is is literally right in front of you. So there's no place to go. There's no other rooms. There's no back rooms. There's nothing, you know, except where they go wash the dishes. But predominantly, you're in the area. And um, you're sandwiched between a truck driver and some drunk chick that, you know, was at the last place that you were probably at, too, that turned you down. And you're just squeezed in this area. And I remember, like, somebody would come over and pretend to be the host, but this it's a tube you know you're you're looking at everybody all at once you're in like maybe 50 square feet of space if that and the guy comes over he's like hello sir how are you is there anything that i can get you to start off with and we're like an orange juice and he's like okay no problem and he turns around he's like frank can't you fucking see the guy said he wants an orange juice what the fuck is wrong with your ears i'm fucking making two fucking egg benedicts over here at once tell him to get a fucking orange juice himself the jaw's right over there and then the guy turns around and looks at me and goes sir the orange juice will be out <laughs> oh my god
That's so fucking funny, man. I'm dying over here. Oh my goodness gracious. I'm literally man. red it's right red. now. Oh my god. That's <laughs> uh. so right. We're gonna do, then, as this is, of course, episode 200. We're just gonna do a complete genre change next. It's just gonna be Derek telling stories from New England. Yeah. Like well, tales from New England. <laughs> we could... in, in in the accent. Yeah. <laughs> We'll call it Ton, T-O-N, just like you have What the Fuck, <laughs> WTF. Tells from New England. I'll be like the correspondent. And now from Massachusetts, reporting live, we have you know, Derek Rook talking a little bit about uh, what the fuck happened in Worcester County this week. <laughs> what the fuck? We have Frank from a diner. <laughs> <laughs> what pharmacy got flipped so the guy could get a fire? <laughs> Oh my god, that's so funny! Oh shit! Oh my god! So, if you are into that kind of stuff, check out Roughhouse Publishing. <laughs> Roughousepublishing dot com. <laughs> it's all this and more severed heads and maggots and yeah. Wow, we're definitely a do-it-yourself FY. Uh, uh, a do-it-yourself DIY. Um, thank you. And you're the one who's drinking. Uh, so yes, DIY <laughs> punk rock experience. Uh, we pride ourselves in doing everything ourselves. We built the website ourselves. Um, everything that we do, we package everything ourselves. We market everything ourselves. So it's uh, again, it's it's our way of saying to other people that you know, um, you don't need to come to people like us to to publish you or to get you started. This is stuff at, at this day and age that you can do all by yourself. Um, Nothing has ever been more free as far as media goes and as far as advertising. Um, when I did it the first time around, you lost your shirt. You absolutely, positively lost everything. You lost the fillings out of your teeth. But nowadays, almost anybody can publish on their own and build up their own fan bases. And uh, if they like this kind of thing, it's not an easy business, but it's a fun one. Yeah, and I'll, I'll say, I mean, it's it's a little weird coming from me because I've, I've known you since I was, what, 11? Yeah, 12? strict nine days. Yeah, oh, so, wow. I mean, so, yeah, <laughs> just for the people out there listening, it was like, so, I, I was growing up in Boca, which was, is suburban and pink, and it's <laughs> stuck very, up, very not, pink. it's the least metal thing on the planet, <laughs> and he would come down every Christmas and every summer, <laughs> and, and eventually we became friends, and he would be, he would be like, hey, have you heard this band, and it actually helped build my love of things like Metallica, Guns N' Roses, sing a lot of those bands cred. that No, I have no street cred. I don't want <laughs> I don't want to have to pretend that I have street cred. I am very much settled into nerdy dad. I'm perfectly <laughs> good there. Um but I would know about some of the heavier bands before they hit MTV. Because he would come down and, and bring me, you know, that stuff. So Overkill. Um, yeah, Overkill oh God, yeah. and uh Wow. Uh, oh, uh, Acid Bath eventually. Yeah. <laughs> Things like that. Wasp. DRI. Yep. Not not mine. <laughs> no. No. Maybe somebody's. DRI? No. You don't remember DRI? I remember DRI. them, but I'm, I didn't. I I'm going to head you off at the pass here because they will talk for another three hours music. on music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've already gone like an yeah, hour yeah, and a half. We're, we're, <laughs> that is true. Long. That is true. Okay. But what, what I was getting at I will not bring up here. Testament. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Oh, man, Souls of Black. Just shut up, album. Omar. Uh, <laughs> no, um, what I was getting at it, you know, so it is weird coming from a friend, but the other side of it is that I am a graphic design instructor, so like I look 
when you release the uh, the ads and stuff like that, it's like it looks like it's supposed to. Like it looks aged. It looks like every pixel has been messed with, and I, you know, has been massaged and put the way where it's supposed to be. No, which that's is because every. To me. Well, thank you, man. That's because every pixel in my body has been fucking massaged and put away wet. So, uh, you know, Giggity. takes one to know one. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And by the way, Greg, yeah, I moved to Boca Raton. Is there supposed to be salamanders in my fucking bed? Just asking for a friend. That is true. There is. There's supposed to be. Now that now it's uh, now it's, it's iguanas. Thing. It's iguanas everywhere. Like, you know those pipes that you see over the canals every once in a while? Yes. They're, like, covered in bright green iguanas, like, every time you drive yeah. by. <laughs> it's true. Wow. I counted, like, two dozen iguanas the other day with my daughter in the car, and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just counting. She's like, shouldn't you be driving? I'm like, you're 11. You're 11. <laughs> Why are you talking to me like that? Like, but you're not wrong. I should be driving. <laughs> Damn it, oh, you're shit. right. <laughs> I'll tell you what, One though, man, I would love to visit Boca again. I haven't been to Boca since my pop left. Um, I believe that was, I don't remember now. I think it was like 2006, 2007, somewhere around there. Um, but I've never I've, I've never really went back there. I never had a, well, it's not like I never had a reason to, but, um, you know, friends move on and they move away and there's just never anybody at the same place at the same time. Yeah. But one day. It's it's changed a little bit. And not for nothing, guys. I I will be in in uh, Orlando on the twenty second. So if anybody is around, I would love to hang out with you guys. Was that October? Did you say October? That's yep. October twenty second, I believe. Let me just double check while we're here because this makes for great radio. While I'm looking, uh, October. 22nd. <laughs> I'm looking at it. it is October twenty second. Okay. Yeah. October twenty second to the twenty fourth. So yeah. weekend, the, like basically a week before Halloween. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. We heard a lot of good things about Spooky Empire. Um, so as kind of like a, a thing when it comes to conventions, uh, we used to have a big one here called Rock and Shock, speaking of like rock music and metal music. So the idea behind the Rock and Shock convention was um, if you got like a deluxe ticket, it got you into the convention, which is a heart convention during the day. And then that same ticket would get you into the rock shows. Like the band heart? Huh? Like the band heart? You said it was a heart convention? Uh, no that's my accent again (laughs) oh that's hilarious and you're not even kidding and i know you're not because i can tell by the way you just said that and i'm drinking so (laughs) well somebody uh you know i was on another podcast in massachusetts and they announced me as a horror artist but because of our accent it sounded like horror artist so i'm a horror artist you're a whore artist, all right. I mean, either, I'm a whore artist, yeah. Either way, you win, but, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> but the um, the heart conventions have kind of dried up around here, and that's where our bread and butter has been when we go out. So uh, that kind of propelled us to to go out again and and visit some other places. That's where the Pennsylvania show came from, um, and that's where Spooky Empire is is the crux of it was that we wanted first of all, uh, you know, we wanted to we've all been quarantined for a year and a half and we just wanted to get out there back on the road and do this the way I used to do it back in the day when I first started so it's like uh you know I've always looked at Rough House as almost kind of like a band in itself there's uh, some other guys that work with us too um so to, to get on a plane or to get into a car and drive to a show it really does feel like that you know that local band 
kind of going town to town and the you know the local areas or the tri-state areas and and just hitting clubs you know only instead of clubs they're conventions and you know we meet a bunch of people and we put on our little shtick and people buy books and we get our pictures taken with them and it's fun spooky empire is definitely good it's uh i've been to that one a couple times yeah and And we just had our big comic-con here so i i love going to conventions it's a lot of fun well cool definitely come back very it's broad too it's got any aspect of horror for the for the people out there that don't know and might be considering going you know it's got people that will sell you know dirt from graveyards and like really and <laughs> taxidermy like tra- taxidermy heads and stuff like that but it'll also have comic artists it'll have movie people it'll have uh, shock rock bands uh there's even like one year i went there was they did a wrestling event with like a dude that was dressed as mike myers and a dude that was dressed as jason and you know they're oh, doing cool. all like a big wrestling thing like right in the lobby of the hotel and you and you always look at what the other event going on at that same hotel at the same time is yeah and it'll be like you know, it, uh, Spooky Empire, horror wrestling, and then also welcome the uh, age seven and up dancing cheerleading competition. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh. that is that. Uh, what else do we got here? We've, we've done Escape from New York. We, we, we need to do our top five. We got to do our top fives. We also, uh, I do want to do a little bit of history and the other movies that came out. We kind of, we did like a little bit of a shift to Rough House Publishing because I did want to make sure that we talked about it because it is a, a well, it's a friend's company, but it's a company that I know and love. Um, so let's do the the history, I guess, real quick. I So when, uh, uh, what's it called? When uh, Escape from New York came out, we were talking a little bit about the, uh, the, we always talk a little bit about the news. And what's funny is I'm able to do that because I have access to the New York Times. And the uh, – it's funny because the – like when I looked up the New York Times, the actual story of this was the fact that this movie was coming out from that date. So I thought that was one – That's interesting. Funny. Yeah. Mm. But if the the – the just the opening of the article – was uh, Manhattan is a giant island prison inhabited by humanity's dregs, murderers, terrorists, thieves, swindlers, perverts of all persuasions, petty criminals, and people who are permanently disoriented. The place is a zoo without bars, but there's no way out. The bridges have been mined and walled off. The the tunnels are sealed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it's funny, like, they take a very long time to actually explain that they're talking about a movie. <laughs> so, wow. Um, and then, of course, the other... there's. Around that time, the only other big stories um, were, were uh, just people complaining about Margaret Thatcher, like the sure. Labor Party hating Margaret Thatcher. So it's that's kind of uh, yeah, fuck that bitch. That's kind of like, which is funny because like, I honestly I think when I think British, I'm like, oh how nice, let's have some tea, special. No, and like Not whenever you talk time, to no. anyone from England, I, I know that, but when you talk to anyone who lived through Margaret Thatcher, they they get either angry or wistful, depending on who you're talking to. Well, it's interesting, but, too, because but, at this point, it's uh, <clears throat> 1981, right? <clears throat> yeah. We're a year and a half yeah. into the Russian invasion of Afghanistan at that point, which is what got us involved in Afghanistan in the first place, which is what led to bin Laden and the Taliban taking over 
in, in 90, 89, 90, 91, which led to September 11th, which led to today. And it's funny that like, there's, there's actually a lot going on at that time. So at this point, what's July of 81, right? So yep. Reagan has been president for seven months. A year. Well, no, because the, the, the election was in 80, right? So he, he, he got inaugurated yes. in January. Of oh, 81. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot going on. People don't realize it yet, but he's about to be a, uh, a shot <laughs> at this point. That's right. The assassination, the assassination, the assassination attempt happened in 1980 still, correct? Or was it, it was 81? 81 because he, he doesn't get inaugurated. The, the election is 80. Ah, right, right, right. <clears throat> right. So it's, uh, I remember seeing that live on TV. Yeah. So he's, so very yeah. soon after this, there's the the Reagan assassination attempt, and um, oh, uh, very soon after this, uh, um, uh, Lenin gets assassinated. Like, there's a lot going on. It's just right on the horizon, and people have no idea what's about to happen. Like, the fucking world's about to explode. You know what I mean? But, but you're very right. But the actual headline mm-hmm. for the New York Times—it's funny. Like, no, I'm saying like it's interesting. Oh no, just listen, listen. I haven't even said it yet. Fertile flies released an error in peril California fruit cop. A, pl- a police officer, or not a police officer, but like a, I guess it's a police officer, uh, accidentally released a bunch of uh, fertile fruit flies, which is a big deal in a state that, um, uh, yeah, that grows a lot of produce. I was going to say, yeah. maybe I'm just drunk, but I'm going to need you to repeat that headline. <laughs> fertile. So a, a cop somehow released uh, a bunch of fertile fruit flies which caused a bunch of other – basically, it's imperiling the entire fruit crop of California. Uh, but also, it led to other states quarantining California, ironically, Texas, saying that they're not going to expect to um, import anything from California because of the, the fear of fertile fruit flies coming along with it. So, <laughs> Jesus. The fear of fertile fruit flies. Yep. Say that well, 12 times. That's some alliteration I, right there. But... Fertile fruit flies. Yes. Huh. So – that that was the history. Uh, the music. Someone came up with the music. Oh, this is gonna be fun because I was looking at these songs and I'm like, "Holy shit! Really? Wow! All right." So, number ten. At the time that this movie was released, is a song by the Pointer Sisters. Any I'm guesses? so excited. No. We know you are, but let's hold it down there. I need a man with a slow hand. Yeah, I know. Me too. But what's the song? <laughs> <laughs> the song at number 10 is Slow Hand by the Boyers. That's a great song. It That's is. And I was looking through song. all of these. I was like, holy shit. Holy shit. Number nine is I Don't Need You by Kenny Rogers. He's good. Number eight. This is a TV show that I watched a lot as a kid growing up with my father. Um, the the spot at number eight is the theme from The Greatest American <gasps> Hero. Believe it or not, uh, I'm walking on Love it. Air. And I always thought that was Air Supply, but it's Joey Scarberry. No, it's some, like, some one-hit wonder guy, right? Yeah. Yeah, Joey yeah. Scarberry. Yeah. That was his only hit, right? I think so. Yeah, Probably. What a great song! That was like on all the yacht rock yacht rock stations at the time. That's such a good song. At at number seven 
We've got Medley from Stars on 45. I have no I idea what that, that is. <laughs> At number six, we've got Elvira yes! from the, the Oak, Ridge Oak Ridge Boys. Boys. Oh, my God. That's so good. Yep. Those guys sold, like, hundreds of millions of records. Like, it's ridiculous how much music those guys sold. At number five, we've got Hall & Oates, You Make My Dreams. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I'm, just glad, I'm just glad that none of this is directed towards me. At number four, we've got Rick Springfield. Oh. Any guesses? Uh, Jesse's Girl, 81, right? It yeah. is Jesse's Girl. Good yeah, job. I hate that song. It's just bad. He's just bad. He's just terrible. I'm sorry. I know he was big, and I know I'm I'm going to get a lot of flag. It's just not good. I'm sorry. Hey, our, for, if our first controversy on this is entire this. podcast is about <laughs> Rick Springfield, Jesse's girl, I'm going to be so pissed. I was, was going to say, do any of your listeners listen to Rick Springfield? Uh, <laughs> would, who knows? Uh, offended I wish person. that I had Jesse's girl. I really like this podcast, but they just insulted my boy Rick. <laughs> Fuck them. <laughs> Go on to Rick Roll some bitches. Um at number three, you've got a band that I just talked about because I thought that the song at number eight was by Air them. Supply. But at number three is Air Supply. The one that you love. Okay. Oh, I don't know this one. Okay. At number two, you've got George Harrison with All Those Years Ago. Okay. Wow. And at number one, song that I haven't heard in forever, and I was like, oh, <gasps> Kim Carnes, <gasps> Betty Davis. Oh my eyes. god, that's so good! I Great song. That song. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, "Holy shit!" That's a great song. I like oh, that cool list. That was that's an a awesome cool list. list, man. Fucking eighty-one. I got the movies real quick. Uh, just the ones that are notable. I will grab. It looks like Escape from New York uh, actually debuted at number eight. Really. <laughs> Uh, right behind Cannonball Run yeah. at number seven. Uh, for your eyes only at number six, uh, The Fox and the Hound, which we talked about earlier because of mm-hmm. Russell. Uh, at number five, Endless Love. Number four, number three, Superman two, which was far uh, less good than Superman four, of course. Of course. <clears throat> wasn't that the one with? No, that wasn't the one with Richard Pryor. That was Superman three. Yeah, Stripes was at number two, and number one, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm. Stripes and Raiders. That's awesome. What kind of training you been doing? Army training, <laughs> sir. <laughs> That's awesome. Yep. <laughs> so, of course, we are the Give Me Five podcast. This is the 200th episode, uh, an anniversary episode. Extravaganza. So I'm going to do one. I'm going to torment Derek one last time. You get your own top five list that you were not warned about. Oh boy! Mm. Oh shit! So are you? Are are you out there? I'm here. Excellent. Uh, this He's is actually like, no. Nope, pro- I just left. Fuck yeah, all click. <laughs> uh, this is going to be fairly easy. You know, a- as an artist, comic book creator, etc. I want to know your top five inspirations that got you to where you are, like movies, music, uh, and you know, books, comedians, comics, anything your top five and if they are out of order because i am throwing you you know into the fire here i get it all right well i hope you got your editing software handy because uh <laughs> you're gonna have to get rid of a bunch of 
ums and ahs. But, um, well, besides Escape from New York being my favorite movie uh, that was hugely influential, uh, let's see. Oh, boy. Well, from artists, I could go on forever. Uh, Bernie Wrightson Bernie is my favorite artist, period, um, no matter what medium he worked in. Um, hugely influential. Uh, the Swamp Thing, uh, the Alan Moore run of The Swamp Thing back in the early 80s was uh, amazing. Um, as far as music goes, my God, I could go anywhere. Um I don't even know. Uh, I guess uh, if we're talking about bands that changed my life, I would say um, in part anyways, would be Guns N' Roses uh, at the height of their career. Um, you know, one of the best. You saw them again, right? I did. I took my friend Tessa to go see Guns N' Roses for the first time. Um, and of course, reminisced about uh, the New Year's Eve uh, 91 into 92 show that Hell yeah. We all saw it together. Third row center, Joe Robbie Stadium, Stadium at the time in Miami. Um, that was just monumental, one for the books. Um, I don't even know how many, I don't even know what number I'm on. Um, so had, uh, we'll go Guns N' Roses, Bernie Wrightson, uh, Escape from New York. So you got three. Um, well, and you could also say Alan Moore Swamp Thing, which is four, and then you can be like, yeah. Sure. The Incredible Hulk TV show was yeah. huge when I was growing up. I was a very. Um, a meek child um, and Lou Ferrigno and Bill Bixby were both heroes of mine growing up for different reasons, obviously. Um, but uh, it, it's, it's goofy as it sounds like um, um, Bill Bixby kind of taught me how to be a gentleman, you know, like if you're talking about uh, just actors that inspired you or, or parts that they played, um, to, you know, use your mind over matter and to use your mind over uh, using your fists. Uh, and then, of course, Lou Ferrigno, which is uh, not, not so much to, to destroy things that you can't fix <laughs> or that you can't um, talk your way through, but um, uh, to take care of yourself, take care of your body, that your body is uh, something that you want to keep with you to, to live a very long life with. Um, so take care of yourself, love yourself. Um, so that for sure. So I guess there's just one more. Um, it's funny, like if, if you gave me time, I'd probably came up with 50 of these, but since we're, um, repressed, um, I, I don't know. Let's see. Your friendship with a young lad in Boca Raton. Always, <laughs> always, always, always. <laughs> And his weird ass Romanian of a friend. scarring incident, actually. <laughs> right. Um, so, will you guys accept four good ones instead of five mediocre ones? That works. That All right, works. cool. Because I'll be here forever uh, trying to think of the last one. And then once I'm Excellent. off, I'll have like 10 ready to rock. I'll be calling you, Greg, at two in the morning. Like, oh, I should have said that shit. Yep, definitely going to happen. But as far as pop, pop culture goes, uh, those are definitely all up there for different reasons. Nice. Now, I, I knew you were busy this week and you had, had lots of work and all that other stuff, so I did not get you involved in our actual uh, top five question. So that is up to you if you want to stick around while we, while the rest of us quickly discuss the uh, top five antiheroes from uh, really any media. Sure. Okay. I'd, I'd love to hang out with you guys and listen to what 
what these crazy people are all about. Mm-hmm. By no. crazy people, I mean you guys, not the anti-heroes that you're going to talk about. <laughs> so who would like to go with their top five anti-heroes? And I'm going to say it has to be someone who isn't me because i got to figure that out. Ah! Uh, I've ri- I, I have them written down. i just got to put them in order. Well, it's top five, right? Okay, so yeah. here's my seven. So you've got 30. Right, ready? <clears throat> it's episode 200. I, I feel like I can do this. This is in no particular order, except for maybe like a... And he didn't even put them in order. Maybe the last three are in order. You know what I'm, you know I'm going to do? Here's what I'm going to do. On my paper here, I'm going to read from the bottom of the page to the top of the page. Because the top of the page is, is my number one. The other ones can go in any order. But the first one, because it shares a namesake with our guest, Derek Vineyard from American History X, played by Edward Norton, is my first mm. um, anti-hero. And I actually, as we were doing this list this week, I watched that movie again uh, two days ago, and it's as fucking awesome as I remember it. Um, so that's that's an amazing character, an amazing acting job. Like, it was amazing. Um, mm-hmm. Another one that I didn't really think of as a as an anti-hero um F Murray Abraham played Salieri in the movie Amadeus about Mozart and that's another one that I remember it's a little bit later than um than um than uh Escape from New York it's a it came out in 84 but that's one of those pivotal movies for me that like really stuck with me mm-hmm. um William defends Foster in Falling Down. Remember Falling Down? Good one. With, Michael uh, Douglas, Michael and he fucking yep. goes rampaging through L.A. That's a fantastic movie. He's a great antihero. Uh, Jean Renault plays Leon the Professional. That's a fantastic movie, fantastic character. And now my top three. I'm going to go with um, Odesu in Old Boy, the original Old Boy. That was a phenomenal movie, as fucked up as it was. My number two is Jules, played by Sam Jackson in Pulp Fiction, Jules Winfield. And number one, mm-hmm. probably the greatest antihero of, 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 of our generation, Han Solo. That's a great one. Ooh. Okay. Drops the I, mic I and walks away. I would consider him an antihero, but I think he that, is. I, I think he's the ultimate antihero. I think at the beginning he's he like is. a bad boy, a and he like you know does his thing, but he's like uh, he's still a hero. Fair enough. You know, no. I hey, I'm I'm not going to argue it because I've got one or two questionable on my list. But and Omar's had a vest fetish ever since. <laughs> he has. <laughs> We we have some voicemails. Do we want to do the voicemails here? Sure. We got, we got uh, two voicemails. Uh, we're going to start off with Jubal's, a.k.a. Matt. Hey, Omar. I just want to say I had a fabulous time last what? night. And what you can do with your hands is just amazing. <laughs> and Rob, don't think we didn't notice you spying on us. We oh, I it. watched every minute. Greg, you missed that I on a wonderful the time. No, it's the right one. And now the hard part, the impossible top five that you gave us for this week. (laughs) This was super hard, and I had to do a ton of research just because there are so many things to choose from. But here's my top five anti-heroes. 
Number five, Vin Diesel is iconic for playing anti-hero characters in all his movies. And the one I'm going with specifically is Riddick. My number four, I'm taking a different detour from your Marvel or DC, and I'm actually going more Japanese anime. My number four is Light Yagami from the series Death Note. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend. My number three is the badass with all the guns out for a vengeance, Frank Castle, a.k.a. The Punisher. My number two is everyone's favorite symbiote, Venom. And number one, the Merc with the Mouth, the most annoying person in the world, and everyone's favorite, Wade Wilson, a.k.a. Deadpool. Hope mm-hmm. you guys enjoy. As usual, Jubal's killed it. Boom. Yep. We've also got our patron of unusual size, Alec. Hey, give me five podcasts. This is Alec with my list for the week. Uh, I called in a few days ago and decided I forgot a couple of people, so I need to change that. And what I'm going to do in honor of the 200th episode is give you 10 instead of five, but mainly because I can only, I, I couldn't uh, stop at five. Uh, number 10, Denzel Washington and Men on Fire is John Creasy. Number nine, Sylvester Stallone and, and Rambo. Or, I'm sorry, First Blood. That's the only one where I believe he's a true anti-hero. Number eight, John Wick. Number seven, Snake Plissken. That was one I forgot about. And then number six is Walter White from Breaking Bad. Then we go to our top five. So this is the true list. Uh, number five is Michael Corleone from The Godfather Part 1 and 2. Yeah, I guess you can say three, but mainly Part 1 and 2. Number four is Omar from The Wire and Walter White from Breaking Bad. I think those two TV characters are iconic. Number three is Travis Bickle. That's probably one of the biggest examples of an anti-hero. Number two is Tony Soprano, which kind of influenced anti-heroes for the rest of the, you know, since it came out in 99 or 98, whenever that was. And then number one, and another one I forgot, and once I remembered I had to call back definitely, was uh, Tom Hanks in uh, Road to Perdition. It's Michael Sullivan. That's one of my favorite movies, and I love his performance. So hope you like the longer list. Thanks. Happy 200. Bye. It's interesting where everyone went on this. I was going to say, it is a wide variety. This is awesome. I love Here's this. Here's the thing. Alec always does a great job. I mean, he's killing it. He even had you on the list, kind of. <laughs> he did. Fair enough. Omar is, in fact, an anti-hero. <laughs> uh, let's see. What about you guys? I guess I can... Oh, man, I don't want to do this. They're, like, all good. Because now I feel like I'm... I'm, I've forgotten some. Um, do you want to go next, or do you want me to go? Uh, go ahead. All right. I, some people said some stuff that, that jostled my memory. Yeah, I'm going to bump one off my list, because he's been mentioned, but he was never one of my favorites. And there was one that I, I actually saw, and I was like, you know, I really kind of like that choice. Um, I'm going to bump The Punisher believe it or not, just because he's already been mentioned and he was never one of my favorites. But at number five, I've got John Wick. At number four, I've got a a show that I didn't really think all that much about, but it really kind of grew on me after I watched a bunch of episodes. 
And that's Rick Sanchez from Rick and Morty. Mm-hmm. So that's my number four. One of the best shows of all time. My number three, I'm bumping the Punisher, and I'm going to put Rocket Raccoon. Mm. I fucking love that little furball. Interesting. <laughs> so I've got Rocket Raccoon at number three. At number two, I've of course, I've got Venom, and at number one, I've got Deadpool, both of which have already been mentioned. But honestly, when we talked about this list, those were the first two names on my list. Interesting. Venom and Deadpool, and I think I've mentioned Venom multiple times as an antihero on this podcast. So, yeah, I've been torn on this because most of the antiheroes eventually become just straight up heroes. Like these characters, a lot of these characters get softened over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deadpool being one of them, uh, depending on if you're pulling from comics or from uh, movies and stuff like that. So, I don't know. My list might have been all over the place on this, but uh, my number five, I'm going to go with Snake Plissken in honor of the movie tonight. Because yeah. oh, yeah. um, he's one of the first anti-heroes that I actually um, I guess thought of. Um, my uh, number four, Walter White from Breaking Bad. That's the one that I had kind of put down but forgot to move up into the top four, or top mm-hmm. five. Uh, number three, I'm going to go with Venom. Again, that is another character that has gotten softened and turned into a bunch of different things, but I'm still looking back at the old Spider-Man, Todd McFarlane comic Venom back in the day. Mm-hmm. Well, and even currently in the movies, he's still he's still true, true, somewhat, you know, hungry, questionable, he's hungry. Yeah, very hungry. <laughs> no, I would like to eat, Mrs. Chen. <laughs> Can't eat, Mrs. Chen. <laughs> the uh, let's see here, number. Uh... Damn it, I had a different one, and now I just totally fucking forgot it. What the hell? Oh my god, because you said that. It's Jen thing, I screwed up. I don't know. I'm going to have to figure it out again. I had like a new one that I was going to swap. I did have some honorable mentions while Greg figures that out. No, 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 I I wrote down the time. I'm going to edit. Okay. Uh, My number two is, in fact, The Punisher. Okay. Um, It just, I have... I collected all of the older comics when they had the different series, and I was a big Punisher person. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number one is one of those characters that started off as an anti-hero but got softened, so I decided to pull that character. Uh, but it was going to be Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number one, is this is another thing, and I fell in love with this character. I fell in love with this story, and the character is a straight-up vigilante, and that is the Crow. That's, man, um, yeah. I, Mm-hmm. because that that's been your thing for a long time i've loved that story for a long time but you know i, I saw that movie in the theater like five times i think we saw it together well, but see my i i thought about the crow but i was like is is he really a vigilante or is he just seeking justice against those who killed him and his but he's his still a vigilante he's, he's still outside the law he's extrajudiciously yeah. hunting people down Dude, we saw that together um, the first time. Like, one of the times that I saw that movie, I saw it with you in the theater. I'm sure of it. I'm 100% sure. Possibly. So, with the... And, but it, it, you know... Complete it, with the Stone Temple Pilots uh, and everything. <laughs> that was my mom calling to say, how could you not put uh, Magneto in the top five? <laughs> and she called me, and then she called me a jackass. I don't know what that's all about. But that yeah, would be my top five, and I think that uh, that does in fact take us out 
Um, Unless Derek about... was able to put together a list. Oh. Um, mine would be uh, just part of everyone else's list. Uh, Frank Castle, The Punisher, certainly. Uh, Eric Draven, uh, The Crow. Um, the Incredible Hulk as well. For I sure, Snake okay. Plissken. And um, I don't know. I wish you guys were called Give Me Four. I think I'd be better at that. Than... <laughs> I wish it was Give Me 19. Uh, but I'm short on that last one. His fifth is uh, Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> so we're good. <laughs> yeah, Margaret Thatcher for sure. <laughs> she knows what she did. Uh... And she did it well. Giggity. Wow. That uh, one time. <laughs> yes. So let's let's do the thanks. Uh, first of all, thank you, Derek, for joining us on the show. I know it was, we uh, have wanted you on the show for a long time, but when episode 200 was around the corner, we finally made it happen. So thank you very much for making the time. Are you kidding, guys? Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I had so much fun hanging out and catching up and meeting Rob for the first time. Yeah. Face to face. Hey, you are welcome back anytime, Derek. It you was a blast. Awesome, awesome guys. For thank real. you. Thank you, guys. Also want to send out a thank you to our one of our original hosts, Jimmy, who was there for 150 or 60 episodes of this. So thank you, Jimmy. Thanks, Jimmy. As well. Hope you're doing well. And he is. He's, he's, he's still in, a, in our patron-only chat, which we usually talk about on here, but we're going long, so I'm not going to. Uh, other than to say, if you really like the show, feel free to join up our, our patron or Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash gibby5podcast. There's a bunch of good benefits and... Yeah, that's all. Uh, and that's all I have to say. What else um, you guys got? We're going to take off for one week. Right? So, yep. yeah, just to next week to edit correct. and whatnot. So, uh, next week, this long ass correct, episode. <laughs> this episode might be cut in half, uh, in two halves. Nah, it's it's, a, it's an anniversary episode. They're supposed to be that's double sized. Um, that's what she said. So,. Uh, we'll be back in a, in what two weeks? Yep, two weeks. We are probably going to show up again as season two. Although the numbering will continue, uh, just the way the hosting works. I believe that after, if you don't switch seasons every two hundred episodes, they start disappearing, and I really don't for want sure. that to happen. Correct. So thank you for listening, guys. Here's to another two hundred guys. And remember, everyone, we want you to give us five. Give me four. I'll take four. (laughs) (laughs) We are now the Give Me Four podcast. (laughs) To a time we're